Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you that you provided for our church in 2022. Thank you that we paid all our bills. We owe no one, and we just know you provided. Thank you for people who generously give. We just know that you've moved in hearts. Thank you that we could give away so much money. Lord, it's just unbelievable to see generosity flow through people here. And we just pray that you continue to bless those places where those those dollars flow really represent ministry and work you're doing. And so we're just honored to be a part of it. And Lord, we thank you again that you've heard all the prayers that we have prayed, all the prayers that are written, all the prayers we couldn't even voice. Lord, we know that your spirit intercedes and prays with, with groans too deep for words. Lord, you can pray the deep longings of our heart, and you hear that. And so we're just so thankful. We ask that you would open your scripture to us now. We want to hear from you. We want to learn from you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm realizing I left my Bible right down here. If we're going to preach from the Bible, I better have one. Okay, we're going to be in Romans. Long ago, before Christmas, we were in a study in the book of Romans, and so we're jumping back into that today. Romans chapter 4. And if you were to do one of those man-on-the-street interviews, I don't know if they still do those anymore. It's probably all done digitally. If you were to propose a social media question and you just said, what's religion all about? Just keep it as generic as possible. You don't have to name the religion. What's religion all about? I'm guessing you would get something along these lines. Do good. Be good, and good stuff happens. It doesn't necessarily matter the, the deity or the cause or the spirit or the whatever someone's worshiping. It, it probably comes down to those things. Do good, as defined by that tradition. Be good, right? Be, be moral, and good stuff happens. I mean, a lot of people, whether they're in a religion or not, would give you some kind of answer. Well, you need to do good, and you need to help people, and you need to be a good citizen and a good neighbor, and you tell the truth. And, and you should expect, as a result of that, that you'll be blessed, and good things will happen, and then when you die, you go to heaven or a good place, or whatever it is. It, it probably has a lot more connection to the to the Hindu concept of karma than you might think. And karma is sort of the, the sum total of the good deeds you're doing and good thoughts you have influences what you come back to in your next life. So if you're a good, wonderful citizen, maybe you come back to somebody wealthy. And if you're a real stinker, bugger, grumpy, mean person, you come back as a dung beetle, right? That's, that's kind of the idea. But uh, a lot of times that kind of thinking actually can flow subtly, maybe unaware, into what people think Christianity is. Do good, be good, go to church, follow the rules, give some stuff, help your neighbor, and then God blesses you. And you go to heaven when you die. And what we're going to see, that Christianity and the gospel is nothing to do with that at all, And that God's righteousness, his blessing of making you righteous, has always and only come by faith. Not by doing a bunch of good things. We end up doing good things, but not because we're trying to secure God's favor or not because we believe in some kind of reincarnation. We must come to God by faith. We must trust him. We must believe him. And it's never been about doing good 
so that we can make God do some good stuff for us. It's always been about believing God and receiving his righteousness by faith. So that's where we're going today. God's righteousness has always and only come by faith. We're in the book of Romans. Uh, it's been, I know it's been early December that I was last there. And so our author of the book of Romans is Paul, or really the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul. And he said, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So Paul has traveled the world preaching the gospel, planting churches. He has not made it as far as Rome as of the writing of this letter. He was hoping to get there. So he sends this letter ahead to them, and it's one of the most thorough and clear explanations we have of what is the gospel. So he says, I'm eager to get there and preach to you in Romans 1.15 and 1.16. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel means the good news. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who bees good and does good. No, right? It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also the Greek. The power of God's salvation is through faith. Verse 17. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith and for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You see the theme? <laughs> That's the whole idea is that we trust God, we believe God, and he gives us righteousness based on faith, not based on being good and doing good. And once you believe and trust God, you end up wanting to be good and do good out of a response to him, not out of leveraging God. So that's the kind of the backstory and what we've seen so far in Romans from Romans 1 18, all the way through Romans chapter 3, verse 20, we've seen this theme. Everyone is in trouble. And he took two chapters to belabor the point that everyone is in trouble. There was a couple weeks in there I thought, I got I to gotta get through this early section every week. It's more bad news and more bad news because everyone's in trouble. Everyone's in trouble. Romans 1.18, I'm just catching us up by review. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed. From heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. We saw this. That you can know that God exists and created you by looking at creation. There's no excuse. No one can say, I don't think there's a God. You can see it. And then he says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And it goes on to describe how God gives people over to sin and rebellion, which gives you more sin and rebellion, which ruins your very own life when we say no to God. When we say, I'm going to do it my way. I'm not thankful that you made me, and I'm going to do it my own way. He says, go right ahead. And that's actually the wrath of God. We make a mess. So that was to any human. We're in trouble. But then you also, then you specifically get to God's people, the Jews, and they're saying, yeah, that's right. Those terrible Gentiles are in trouble. And Paul says, not so fast. Paul himself being a Jew, 
He says, yeah, you think you're going to follow God's law? You think you're going to obey the Ten Commandments? Romans 3.19, he said, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. He said, you might have God's law, you might know God's law, you might teach God's law, but no one perfectly obeys God's law. You just hold that up in front of you and you'll go, oh, I'm in trouble. I don't think we get off number one. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm the Lord your God, you have no other gods before me. We usually worship ourselves first. And it doesn't take long to get down to things like lying, stealing, honor your father and mother. Anyone perfectly obey that? Right? And then it ends with, shall not covet, shall not want what other people have. We don't get off the Ten Commandments. We don't even get, off, we don't even get out of the batter's box. The law shows we are in trouble. We're rebels. Whether you know God's law or don't know God's law, no one will be justified. No one will come before God and say, yeah, I did a really great job. You owe me. You say, no, I'm sorry. We're in trouble. That's why... The good news is actually good news. We need good news. And so this is where we were, were getting before Christmas. So we got into Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Apart from trying to earn your way. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe for there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. What a verse. We're justified. We're made right. We're declared clean by God's gracious gift through the redemption. Redemption is setting free on the payment of the price. Jesus died for you to be freed whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. He was the sacrificial lamb. He paid the price to be received by faith. You hear that word over and over and over? By faith, we trust, we believe, we put our full trust in him. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. If you hear nothing else today, hear that. That in Jesus, he paid the price for your sin. He's risen from the dead. When you trust in him and who he is, he says, that's what makes you righteous. Not doing good, not being good, recognizing that you're not good and you actually need him. So that's where we left off. And so I want us to focus on this whole uh, issue of faith. God's righteousness has always and only come by faith. And I think what we'll see is that faith is hard. You might think that, that faith is actually hard. I mean, in one way it seems, oh, I just believe that. But in the other way, I think we don't like it. Sometimes we like to make our own way. It keeps us in the driver's seat, right? I did these good things. I sent some money to the Lighthouse Mission. So God, where's some answered prayer coming? We might not be that overt, but inside, I think we still have that. I do this, you do this. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we want to say, see, I did it. 
We like to rely on ourselves. We like to stay in control. Faith is hard, and that's kind of what's been addressed here as we get into chapter 4, is that we say we want to do it. And so what chapter 4 does is it anticipates a question. It anticipates an objection. This whole dialogue in Romans has been Paul writing, and he's anticipating objections of some of it of his fellow Jews who are objecting to the gospel. And one of the objections he's going to anticipate about this whole idea of trusting God is they'd say, well, what about Abraham? What about Abraham? Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. He, and Abraham, they would say, Abraham was faithful. Do you see the difference between faithful and having faith? They would say, well, what about Abraham? God blessed Abraham because he was faithful. When God told him to do something, he did it. Well, we'll see it here in a minute. When God said, move out of your family house and go, he did it. And so Abraham was rewarded because he was faithful. This would be the argument. And Paul says, wrong-o, you haven't read the story. That's not how it works. He was faithful, but first he had to have faith. And so there's a big difference between faithful, then you get to say, look, I did it. I did what you told me, versus having faith, saying, I disbelieve you. So that's where we're going. That's the objection. So our, our passage today is Romans 4, 1 to 8. And he's throwing this up here. He's throwing out the argument that he's anticipating. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our far, forefather, according to the flesh? They'd say, what about Abraham? He was faithful. He did good deeds. He's proving you don't know what you're talking about, Paul, that we got to obey the law. So we're going to just quickly get the story of Abraham in Genesis 12. If we don't know, maybe know him, he, he was originally called Abram, Abraham. We're not talking about the weird song. Did any of you sing that weird song? I mean, I can visi- viv- vividly remember being in second grade in public school singing the Father Abraham song. He had many sons and all they did was go like this, right? Or, do you remember that? I hated that song. I did not understand it at all. No one does this all day or this. I, I, was, I hate this song. So anyways, we're not doing that song. Sorry if I just launched it into your brain. I never understood why they did that. So we're talking about a real guy. Genesis 12. Abraham. He started with the name Abram. And God appears to him. And we're talking about out of nowhere. The story in Genesis 1 to 11 is this global history. Genesis 12, God narrows down to one guy. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is God's promise of the gospel going to come through this man's line. All the nations are going to be blessed Through this guy Abraham. So verse 4 says, So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Lot's his nephew. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So he'd say, See, see, God told him to move. He moved. God said, Go over here. He went over here. See, Abram was faithful. But the part of our story comes in in Genesis 15. There's a lot that happens, maybe almost 10 years go by. But realize, God talked to Abraham when he's 75. He comes again, Genesis 15, and after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, 
Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. He's saying, God, you promised me I was going to be a great nation. You promised me all this stuff. I got zero kids going on here. It's like one of my staff members, one of my my chief house attendants, he's going to inherit everything. He's like, what's going on? Verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Here's our word. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it him as righteousness. So he says, I got no kids. My whole life we've never had kids, right? They're now in their 80s. And he's thinking, this is crazy. We've probably prayed for years to have kids. They don't have kids. The Lord makes his promise. Ten years later, they still don't have kids. He's saying, Lord, I don't know about these promises. And God said, just count those stars. Have you ever been to like Montana or somewhere where you get out of the out of the light pollution of the city, and you just can't believe the number of stars. One, two, right? You just, it's not even possible. Count them. And he doesn't say, I don't know, Lord. Well, he doesn't say, he just says, okay. You say, I'm going to have that many offspring? I believe you. And that's when God declares him righteous. Not when he moved out of the house, not when he traveled where God wanted, not when he led him through various battles, when he believed God's word. Okay. You say that's what my offering's going to be? I believe you. And that's when God said, you're righteous. When he believed. So we jump back to our story in Romans 4, chapter 2. It says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. Like, God, remember I did what you said and I moved out? And he says, but not before God. No one has a boast before God. Verse 3, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. We just believe. We, believe. we don't have the same promise. God didn't promise to make you a great nation. <laughs> but he did promise and say, I'll forgive your sins. He tells us Jesus is risen from the dead and paid the full price. That if you trust in me, we just read that. If we trust in me, you receive my, my salvation as a gift. You're declared righteous. We just believe him. We trust him. And he's saying that's how it's always been. Abraham, it wasn't because he was faithful that he was declared righteous. It was because he believed him and he believed something that seemed impossible. That he would have, that he would have a kid, let alone a nation. So he goes into this, he says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. So he he puts it into an analogy we can understand. You get a paycheck every Friday, every other Friday, twice a month, once a month. You don't go to the employer and say, How did you know? That's exactly what I wanted. You should see the size of my utility bill. I bought eggs this week. Anybody paying like 10 bucks for eggs right now? You're going, man. Thank you. You knew exactly what I needed. Nobody does that, right? If that paycheck isn't there, you're in the HR office and something's going down right here, right? I cleaned all week for you. I worked all week for you. When you have a when you're working, 
It's not a gift. You don't write a thank you note to your employer every week. I mean, maybe once in a while you thank them, and, but you don't, you don't thank them that they gave you a paycheck, right? You just put the hours in. Some of you put in physical hours. Some of you work late hours. Some of you work early hours. Some of you were strained mentally. Some of you deal with just chaos in your job. And there better be a paycheck at the end of this or I'm not coming back, right? That's not how it works with God, right? When you're dealing with God, it's not that you work and he owes you, right? Wages are a result of work. That's the contract we all make. I do the work, you pay me. Saying, now that's how jobs work. Verse 5, and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, the faith is counted as righteousness. Saying this is how faith works. It's not a matter of an exchange. I work, you pay. It's saying I don't work. I believe you. I believe what you say. I believe who you are. I believe him who justifies the ungodly and his faith is counted as righteousness. So it's not a matter of a transaction. It's not a matter of you do this and God owes you. It's saying, I'm not doing this. In fact, I can't do this. I can't do anything to solve my sin problem. I'm believing what you say the cross did. There's a parallel passage over here in Colossians 2. I want you to listen to the same kind of debt wage language in here. In Colossians 2.13, it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. It's really the very opposite. We don't work and God owes us. You are in debt to God. You see that? You have a record of debt. You've lived on his earth. You've breathed his air. You've consumed his resources. You've borne his image. And we've been in sin. And we've been in rebellion. He says, I don't owe you. You owe me. You owe me for your very life. You owe me for transgressing the world and the law that I made. You owe me. He said, but that's okay. I paid for it in blood. He nailed it to the cross. He didn't cancel the debt. He paid it in full in Jesus. And so you see that language. We trust him and the debt is gone. What we owe is gone. What we owe our very life is freed up in Jesus. That's how faith works. We trust him. We believe him. And it's given to us as righteousness. So he comes back to Romans 4, 6. It says, just as David also speaks of the blessing. So Paul's like pulling out the big guns of the Jewish patriarchs. We got Abraham. He's like, see, Abraham believed God. He's like, let me get King David in here. These are the big heavy hitters of the Old Testament. It's like Abraham believed. Look at what David says. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So he's saying even David talks about that's the blessing. That's from Psalm 32. This word blessed is an interesting word. It means joy from being in the salvation kingdom of God. Right? It's not just joy because 
you know, you're feeling good about life and the sun came out. It's a specific blessing, a joy, because he's brought you into his salvation kingdom. You're with him forever. See, that's the blessing. He's saying, so he's saying, look, Abraham believed God. David talks about being blessed by being invited into God's salvation, forgiving your sins. Not that God owes you anything that you've received the gift from God. And he said, that's the real, the blessing is when God doesn't count your sin. When God doesn't look at your ledger and go, yeah, you're in trouble. Saying, no, I've trusted in you and your account is now considered clear, paid in full, forgiven. He's saying, that's the real blessing from God. Now, this is where it gets interesting to me. Can't we treat faith like a work and almost leverage God? I feel like there's a real fine line here, you know, and, and we sense it. We read even some passages I read last week. Right? Okay, if you ask and you don't doubt in your heart that God answers that prayer. And so we're praying, God, I'm really believing you for this one. I'm really believing. And it can feel like we can step over that line of like, okay, I prayed. I really believed this time. Now where's the answer? Have you ever, can you feel that sometimes where there's this sense of I'm trying to use faith? As a lever, I'm trying to use faith to get God to do the thing versus just believing. How do we know? How do we know? And I think the way we can know is, do we have strings attached to anything? Am I praying? Am I believing just because I'm believing you? Or am I really hoping for this other thing to happen? That's hard. I mean, that's, you're going to have to just go really honest with yourself. Am I praying and I believing God just because he's God, just because he says it? Or am I actually hoping that by me doing this thing, then he does this thing? And that sometimes is really hard to know. You're going to have to ask God, search your own heart. Am I just believing you because you said it? Abraham just said, believe, okay, makes no sense. I don't know where this kid's going to come from, let alone enough kids for the whole stars. I don't know. I just believe you. Versus, oh, God, I need this thing. So if I do this, and if I'm over here, and if I really, really believe you, then you'll do this. That's, start, that's getting back into the, I'm trying to use faith actions to make God do something. Versus, I just believe you. I just believe you. God's righteousness has always and only come by faith. Always and only. That we just say, God, you're God. And I need you. God, you paid the ultimate price. I need you. He's actually worthy for you to trust him. Right? You're, you're putting your trust into someone who's worthy of it. So, and that makes all the difference. That makes all the difference. I'll tell a little story of the difference. It's a very sad story. This is my daughter, Lauren. And over... Christmas break, we were needing to shop for her to get a new vehicle. I don't know if you recall last summer, she was rear-ended by a drunk driver, destroyed her car. And um, so we had been sitting on this insurance money. So she was home, said, we got to get you a car. She's going to be home from college in April, and you need to get to work. So we, find, so we look, and we, we find this little Subaru, and she's all excited. So here's what happened. I mean, I'm a, I like Craigslisting, and there was a Craigslist ad about this long. If you've ever seen Craigslist, they're like this long. But this ad was paragraphs. This ad was going on that we named the car Sterling. 
This car's been in our family. We've passed it around. We've had our babies in this car. We've, we've cherished this car. And it's a little bit higher mileage, but just 45,000 miles ago, we rebuilt the whole top end. We redid the heads. We did the water pump. We did the timing belt. And this is what I'm looking for because Subarus have a kind of weird head gasket thing. I want someone else to have paid for that service. So, I mean, I write him back a story. My daughter was rear-ended. It was terrible. The guy fled the scene. I mean, this is all, I mean, it's not a made-up story. That's the real story. He calls right back. He's got this cool New York accent. He's like, I'll meet you tomorrow. And I'm caught up. And I, and I get there, and he's telling me these things about this. And, well, this little button doesn't work because of that. And the exhaust is a little loud, but it's a $3 gasket. So he's telling me this stuff. And we get home, and, and he said, I got all the maintenance records. You just call me, and I'll email them to you. That phone number doesn't work anymore. I did a little friend called the Carfax. That car's been owned by five people. He said, oh, my wife backed in and bumped the back end in the garage. No, that car was in a rear-end collision. And uh, he's told me, I don't know, ten things. And the more I've started to research, the more I'm like, he didn't tell me the truth on any of them. And I've, it's been actually kind of a personal struggle for me. I'm like, how did I get so fooled? I just, I feel really dumb about it, honestly, because I'm, I'm like, I'm usually a guy who makes wise decisions and is slow and is careful. And, and so it's been a, kind of like a personal wrestling match. But I mean, I drove it here today, if you want to see Sterling, as it will never be called again. Uh, so, you know, it is running. I just, I trusted this guy. I kind of got caught up in the story. I kind of overlooked some things I might normally have been more scrutinizing. I, I should have said, please hand me the piece of paper with the shop record on it. But I just got caught up. I trusted him. And I, you know, it's the best I can tell, he worked me. He's probably till, still telling the stories to his buddy, this guy from Bellingham. But the point is, I trusted him. He was not trustworthy. We're talking about trusting God who doesn't pull that stuff? He's trustworthy, right? He didn't just make up some story about, well, you do a couple good works for me and I'll save you. <laughs> he put it in blood on a cross. He comes down and said, I'm going to pay the price for your sin. I'm going to pay the full price for your sin. And I'm just asking you to trust me. I'm asking you to put your trust in me, not do a bunch of things. I'm asking you to trust me and I'm worthy of your trust. I'm waiting for your trust. This is a gift I want to give you. And so wherever we're at today, maybe you need to trust him for the first time. You say, Gee, I trust that you are God and you are the Savior and I need you. Maybe you need to trust him with a specific thing and it's just been plaguing you and burdening you and you just need to give it to him. Maybe it's a little thing. Maybe it's one of the things on the wall. Maybe it's, I don't know, but you need to just say, God, I trust you. Not because you might do this thing for me, not because the string is attached. I just give it to you and you're worthy of it. And that's where our, our sense of just total peace can be. I give it to you. That we're made righteous by faith alone. We're helped by faith alone. It's just trusting God who's worthy of it. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you've done on the cross. I thank you that you're working in this room. You're working all the time. Lord, I pray for any who need to trust you today. That they would put their trust in you. Not in what they've done. I pray for those who might have forgotten that. They started that way, then they went back to trying to earn your favor. They just need to trust you today. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.